Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. You know, the highest form of leadership is being able to check your ego at the door and check your gut and show up when it's time to show up and shut up when it's time to do that too. Mm-hmm. And knowing the differences, I think, oftentimes just a result of practice and really, I think, recognizing the, di- the difference between competence and confidence. And so for the listeners, I would say this, I think we've mistaken confidence as something it's actually not. You see, what we think is, we we often say something like, I want to be confident that if I do X, Y will happen. But the truth is, confidence is something that is oftentimes more blind. Competence is what we're searching for when we say, I want to be certain, because we can only be certain of a competence. Hi friends, it's Ashley here, and I have such a treat for you in the work category. We've got Kelsey Ramsden here. She is an author, a speaker, and winner of Canada's, you know, twice, by the way, Top Female Entrepreneur Award. Um, She mentors for Richard Branson Startups, and I figured who better to be here than talk to us uh, about how to be an empowered leader, because I think it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of you, I hear that you have stepped into leadership, but a lot of the times leaders are rewarded um, for their excellence with so much work that they're falling apart, burnt out, all of the things. So um, I'm really excited to talk to Kelsey today and just give you some of her nuggets. We have a few key steps to be an empowered leader, and I know you're going to have your notepad out and ready. So Kelsey, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Ashley, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, I love that I said us. Like, the listeners aren't here, so it's me and all my personalities that you're talking to today. <laughs> That's cool. That. I must, too. Yeah, totally. When you're an entrepreneur, there's generally a few personalities inside of There you. must be. There must be. There's it's that's the key to survival. Isn't it? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, whenever I, I, I can't help but ask you, I know that you have so much to your story, but I'm curious how we can share with everybody here, how you could share with them kind of like what led you into entrepreneurship and what made an impact on your leadership as a human. Cause I think it's sure. such a transformational journey to become a leader. Yeah, I mean, I think some people are born entrepreneurs. That was certainly me. So I always was thinking about ways to start businesses. I tried having a job lots of times and got fired every time. So, I mean, I think I think entrepreneurship has been oversexified, you know, like a lot of people want to do their own thing or or have their own business. Um 
I would say that most entrepreneurs would like to have what most other people have, which are jobs. <laughs> it's kind of like the grass is always greener thing. Um, but for me, it was just like at a certain point, I remember I was a consultant. I was working in Toronto, putting in all the hours, like doing all that stuff after getting my MBA. And I looked at my boss and I was like, if I had a hundred bucks to put on her or me to lead my future, who would I put it on? And so I decided it was me. Mm. And so for a lot of people, I mean, I think that's a question people should be asking themselves. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to go and start your own business. That just means you have to choose yourself mm. as the leader of your own career. Um, you know, I think that's one of one of the most challenging pieces for being an empowered leader is defining the moment where you stop waiting for someone to create the next hoop for you, mm. um, to tell you that it's your time. And I think that happens commonly to the most driven and ambitious people because that's how we're trained. We become very good hoop jumping monkeys. Mm -hmm. We're told, you know, get these grades, do this thing, deliver this report. And we just, we, we thrive on this kind of like jump the hoop, jump the hoop, succeed, succeed. And at a certain point, we almost stop trying in and of ourselves. We're just jumping their hoops. Mm. And if they put a hoop up, we jump through it without kind of thinking strategically about, is that my hoop to jump at this point? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I'm also, I, you know, just having read about you and heard, you know, and those of you um, who have not listened to Melissa Monty's podcast, Mind Love, um, she's who recommended you to me. And I just think she's such an amazing person. So anybody that she speaks this highly of, I just did my research on you and I saw that you've, you know, created and run businesses from construction to children's toys. And you are kind of this quiet, you know, you'd written in on your website, co-CEO and wingman you know, to these brilliant entrepreneurs. And I'm so curious because for me, Kelsey, my experience was I got into the e-course world and created millions of dollars in revenue in two months after a lot of failure. And then I had a lot of loss as well because I was too attached to my business when it started to succeed and the numbers shifted. Mm. Um, and one of the things I'm, I marvel the most at with entrepreneurs like you is your ability to sustain success because right. it, it kind of feels like um, that's the secret that, I don't hear a lot of people talk about is when you're not a new entrepreneur, all it's about is creating something and making money out of it. And, mm. and then it's like, once you start making money, you got to sustain it. You got to scale it. And yes, sometimes scaling means that you have more freedom, but sometimes it's, you know, there's like that kind of sweet spot or not so sweet spot where you're really in the trenches scaling something, um, and hiring and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious, like, what? how do you keep your energy up? Because I identify as an entrepreneur. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of execution in me. I have a lot of street smarts. Um, but I, I continue to marvel at women, uh, especially, who sustain it. Especially because you were just saying you have a sick kid in your office with you today. So how do you do all of that? You know, I don't know that I've got it all figured out. You know, one of the things that I would say I'm, I'm like, uh, blissfully ignorant half of the time because I don't know what I'm getting myself into and I think um, I think a lot of my businesses started that way. I grossly underestimated how much work it would be. The same as when I was in a traditional career, I grossly underestimated how much responsibility I would have a certain kind of jobs. Yeah. But I think I think the thing that's common to to every woman in any kind of business where it's a traditional career or entrepreneurship, this idea of like 
really becoming crystal clear on what your capability and capacity is mm. and protecting that in any way you can. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm driving at is there's, there's a capacity again, for the most dri- driven and ambitious people to become burnt out, um, because of overwork and overcommitment and over all the things, but there's also a high propensity be- to become bored out, mm-hmm. which is, you know, clinging to the mountaintop of the thing that we do really well and not adapting quickly mm-hmm. enough to change. And so I think that, you know, to answer your question around how do you, how do you grow and then maintain a business yeah. is you grow it by doing that first part, which is like really understand what you do tremendously well and how, how much of it you can do. And then once it gets to a place where you recognize, okay, this is really a thing. This is a going concern, whether it's again, in your own business or in your career, you think you're onto something, then it's really shifting gears to go, okay, this is working. How do I want this to work? And being super deliberate about that so that then you start to adapt it to suit you Mm. and to suit the market and to constantly adapt it as opposed to go one and done. I made it. It's amazing. And then that's usually where people die. You know, they get stuck in their ways and they lose their edge. You know, pun intended for me, Kelsey, because my career in my early 20s started at the Pentagon in counterterrorism and my saving grace and for other people, too, was knowing the limits of my knowledge. Because if you bring any ego into a job like that, people die, you know. Mm. So I had to know my capacity very intimately, especially when it was being challenged, because I would go on military bases for weeks at a time across the U.S. and we would be doing these exercises and it's like if I'm not willing to be aware of my body and when I'm Mm -hmm. starting to, when words are starting to float on the screen when I'm writing an intelligence report, it's like people lose out, you know, and it was such an interesting dance and I think it's the one we're talking about today of being an empowered leader And, and what does empowerment mean? It means really knowing your limitations and knowing your gifts, right? Like you were saying, your capability and your capacity, I think were the two words you used. And I think um, I'm curious about that because it feels kind of like trial and error. Like, how do you know your capacity until it taps out? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think there are symptoms that we love to ignore, you know. So um, because, because, again, those things have been pretty oversexified. So being busy, everyone loves to say how busy they are. Yeah. Um, You know, as opposed to being fulfilled or full. That's a totally different thing. Yeah. how well are you sleeping? You know, how's your weight going? Like all these things. Look, I'm, I'm always happy to be like, again, overly candid and that, um, I can be addicted to a lot of things. And at the height of my success, uh, outwardly, I was heavily addicted to power and money. Mm. And so I think that's the other thing that shows up for a lot of people um, and people, when people hear the word addiction, they think of like drugs and alcohol immediately, but there's all sorts of things, uh, like control, mm-hmm. you know, people with addictive behaviors around food, um, in, in, in both ways, like overconsumption, underconsumption. And, and so I think when our bodies usually start to react before our minds do, because our minds are so powerful, we can, we can placate and make excuses for ourselves all day. But oftentimes it's either your body starts to revolt against you or addictive behavior starts to become more apparent Mm -hmm. and that you're really thirsty for something that you don't need. 
those are, I think, the, the kind of first signs of when you're approaching those kind of edges of capacity. It's, it's a very tricky thing because it's different for everyone. But when we're quiet in the middle of the night, I think we really know. Mm. Mm. I love that because I think my ultimate work in career coaching is bringing people home to themselves and what they already know. And it's like, we live in a world where people don't think they have the answers when really it's like, instead of asking yourself, what's the answer? It's like, when you really just get quiet and listen to what you already know is true, it usually lends itself to the answer, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's, sorry, I think that's one of like the greatest challenges I found when I started doing like wingman work with people was people who'd say, well, what, what should I do? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, every, and and I can identify that to such a great degree uh, because I love to be told the answer too, because then I have a scapegoat. Then if it doesn't work out, I can say, well, you know, I followed this or I did this program or I did this thing or, you know, as opposed to really believing in myself and trusting in myself, which is far more frightening than following someone else's advice. Yeah. There's um, Stephen Pressfield in his book called um, Turning Pro. He has this term called shadow career, which is basically, um, have you, have you heard of him by chance, Kelsey? He's such an Yeah, I know. Uh, the war of art is one yeah. of my favorite books. Yeah. I mean, I had resistance reading that book about resistance. So that was just really <laughs> something. Yeah. Well, he, his book turning pro, have you read that by chance? Yeah, I've, I've read Turning Pro as well. So do you remember he talks about shadow careers and how they're kind of tantalizingly similar to the career you actually want? It's it's the um, producer's assistant instead of the actor. It's the um, musician's assistant instead of the musician. It's like the people who kind of are on the periphery of what they actually want. And it's like there's such a vulnerability to doing what you want. So it makes sense to me that people prefer to just listen to the answer because then they don't have to be with the fact that that was what they thought and now and now what? Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think sometimes it's, it's more uh, comforting to have a dream than it is to prove it wrong. You totally. Know? Yeah. That's how I felt when I worked in counterterrorism. I picked up, I moved and I thought, you know, this, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan. And there's nothing more powerful, I think, for a lot of people in their career than holding on to a plan for the sake of having one, because they feel like they're going somewhere. It's this false sense of security and momentum. Yes. You know? Um, I always call it double dutch skipping. You know, when have you ever seen double dutch where they, they have like two ropes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a person on the sideline like leaning in, leaning back, leaning in, leaning out, leaning, you know? Yeah. And, um, and oftentimes people who are doing that motion are like, yeah, I'm skipping. But the reality is they're not at all. Mm-hmm. You're not skipping. You've not leaped. You've not done anything. You're just, you're just timing it. You're mm-hmm. waiting for the timing, mm-hmm. timing timing and it's such a great place to hide out because it looks to everyone else like you're doing something when really um you're just waiting yeah rocking in a rocking chair well yeah so i one of my things that i got the saddest about in my career that we're kind of talking about today for everybody listening these three steps to being an empowered leader um i got so burnt out after my business did all of that revenue and then went under i mean because i was 
I did, I made one of the most expensive decisions as an entrepreneur and that was denial, denying that the numbers were changing, you know, <laughs> watching it slowly go down. It's yeah. like not trading out of the stock market when everything starts plummeting and you're like, no, it's going to go back up. Totally. And I also made the decision to trust, um, everybody but myself. So, you know, it's easy for a Facebook ad specialist to say, give me another few months when your budget's, you know, $300,000 a month. And, yeah, and, it, and it's even easier for, for you to buy into that when you're in denial and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was, I, I, I made a life changing amount of income for myself and lost it. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, but what did happen because I learned so much about myself and in the end, you know, I still have me, the person who created anything, you know, but, but, but I was left with a burnout that I've never quite experienced before. And it was the most, it was the most intimidating and scary thing because my brain, like the chemistry of it felt like it changed. Like I've never forgotten so much stuff before. I've never um, had such low energy. I've never been so repellent of money before. And I'm just getting out of that right now, writing my book for Hay House. And it's been such a healing experience to be writing about it because I'm kind of processing my life in so many layers, you know, from working in national security to losing money to making money again. And so I'm curious to kind of hear from you from everybody here because... I know that being a leader is one thing, but being empowered about it, meaning having boundaries, respecting your energy, respecting your body is a whole nother, um, respecting your path. So I'm curious to hear from you. What does it mean for you to be an empowered leader before we get into these three steps? Yeah, I mean, for me to be an empowered leader, I think is really rooted in this, this notion of we build nothing alone. Mm. But at the same time, not to diminish the power in, in giving it away, but in holding my place in my space. So I think one of my favorite, like, kind of anecdotes is around Steve Jobs. He talks about, you know, we don't hire brilliant people to tell them what to do. We hire brilliant people to tell us what to do. And I, I think love that. So the, true. You know, the highest form of leadership is being able to check your ego at the door and check your gut and show up when it's time to show up and shut up when it's time to do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing the difference is, I think, oftentimes just a result of practice and, and really, I think, recognizing the, di- the difference between competence and confidence. And so for the listeners, um, I would say this. I think we've mistaken confidence as something it's actually not. You see, what we think is we we often say something like, I want to be confident that if I do X, Y will happen. Uh, But the truth is confidence is something that is oftentimes more blind. Competence is what we're searching for when we say, I want to be certain, because we can only be certain of a competence. Mm. Uh, And so when we're really competent in something, we can get stuck there, we can develop it, we can do all those kind of things. But it's not until we feel confident in ourselves that we have the ability to adapt and learn that we go out on a limb in confidence and try and develop a new competency, try and do something new. And so I think that empowered leadership is, you know, kind of the sum of all those things, which is knowing when to, when to, you know, stand up, knowing when to shut up and knowing where your boundaries are between competence and confidence and, and, and where you care to sit. Mm. And I think it's not until you are able to kind of define all of those things and understand all of those things for yourself that we can then start to 
be really clear on where it is okay to give our power away, if we want to call it power, mm-hmm. um, where it's most graceful to, you know, be that person who, who recognizes when it's their time to step forward and when it's their time just to hold space. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of challenges with that. Um, when I, I managed a threat team for a large company and they had assets around the world and staff and I was um, managing their intelligence team, you know, just tracking different threats in different countries to keep their staff safe. And I was a, you know, a woman and a manager. And you know, what's really interesting is I don't often talk about like being a woman, like through that lens, Um, because my experience in my career, I haven't had that direct experience. I've had, I mean, yes, I did in my early career find out that somebody was being paid way more than I was um, for the same job. So that really sat with me. But beyond that, I never felt like I was treated that differently. But except for there was one occasion where um, I was managing men um, who are intelligence analysts. And um, I was noticing the difference between them and one employee that I had that was a woman. And she was always kind of looking to me for her leadership opportunity, for her opportunity to be nurtured and grown as an employee. And the men would always come to me. And it was literally, it was textbook. Like, they would come to me and be like, it's time for me to get a raise. It's time for this. And they just decided when it was time. So this kind of lends itself to your first step. Don't wait for someone else to tell you it's your time. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. Cause I think a lot of people listening right now, they're waiting for, you know, their boss to realize they should be promoted or, you know, for that opportunity to come their way. Yeah. And I, I alluded to this a little bit in the opening and I, and I think that my, my big moment was realizing that no one was paying as much attention to my career as I should have been. You know, um, all the people up upstream from me were paying attention to their careers first. <laughs> and so it, um, so it was really disappointing to me the number of times where someone would, you know, get a bonus larger than me or someone, so, you know, all these things would happen around me. And I would think, how did they not notice that I over-delivered I overperformed. I did this. I did this. I did this. And, and, and then I, I kept thinking, how is it that they aren't giving me the opportunities I think that I want? And I think it was really twofold for me in particular. It was that I wasn't crystal clear on where I was going. I didn't have my own strategy for my career. Mm. I was just waiting for them to tell me what they thought was next. Mm. So that was, I think the first fatal flaw. Um, that really slowed me down from getting places I wanted to go was number one, I really wasn't clear. And I was thinking they would know that best because they know my work, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which I now laugh at because really, you know, they don't know me best. I do. I'm the only, I'm the world's expert on myself as we all are, you know? Well, that actually, Um, a couple questions before, like number one is I think a lot of people, you say the word strategy and I get that as a career coach, but I think a lot of people listening that that feels like such a nebulous term, you know? So like, what do you mean by strategy for somebody who's listening right now? Maybe they're a manager, a senior manager. They want to be a director. They're performing really well. Um, what do you mean when you think strategy or what can you offer them to kind of start to think about their own strategy? Yeah, great. I mean, all of life is a little bit like a chessboard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the, when I say strategy, I think the, the biggest mistake people make is they imagine only one chessboard. So to be concrete, you may be working in a company and you see your senior manager and you see these people around you and, 
you kind of have that chessboard drawn out. But the idea I'm talking about is not to look at what moves you're going to make or who's going to be going on mat leave or who's, you know, all that. But zoom out and go, who are the players in my field? Who are the other people? Where are the other cities this is happening? How does that fit into where I want to live, the kind of person I want to be, the kind of people I want to be exposed to? And if you really zoom out on that and you look at how that aligns with your life, it becomes quite clear where there are alignments. Mm. And then it becomes quite clear what moves you can make to move chessboards. So let's say you're currently living in D.C. and you always wanted to go and, I don't know, live in Austin. Um, But you're wondering, like, how would I ever get there? How does that happen? Because, you know, it's just a matter, really, of zooming out and thinking about what are my moves in order for me to get from point A to point B and what makes the most sense for my career. Um, And then on the flip side, I think we often underestimate the value that organizations have for us as individuals. And by that, I mean, if you, you know, you think about how everybody writes up their CV and they talk about their roles and their responsibilities and all this kind of stuff. Um, But more than anything else, really, organizations both want extreme problem solvers, uh, but they also want you to take extreme direction. So they want you to deliver the solution that they want in an entirely new way without breaking all of the known rules, which is really challenging, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to showcase that strategically, how can you show up? Mm. Right? So you can show up and do those things independent of one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really what I'm driving at is just like, it's very rare to take an afternoon out and sit with a notebook and go, all right, in three years time, the best version of me in the best case scenario could look like this. And then how do I baby step my way from today to then? Mm. And usually that's overwhelming. So I like to do it backwards. It, you know, if I was there three years from now, what did I do just before that? Just before that, just before that, you know, mm-hmm. and make my way back to today. Um, so it's not like some fancy MBA model or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I could I could give you a few of those, but yeah. but I you know I think I think for the most part it's just like zooming out on our careers and not being so kind of focused on today and looking a bit more on like what's happening in three years time and how do I position myself so that I am the only choice. Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And I guess one question that keeps coming up for me that I, and I just know it because so many clients have asked me when, you know, cause I've coached anybody from admin assistants to executives. And so I hear sometimes, um, they don't want to feel demanding. Like I've had a couple of top performers in my practice where they've done really well. They've gotten a lot of promotions and they're in this judgment. Like it feels greedy to ask to be moving 
even more quickly up the ranks, but they feel like they deserve it and they're creating the impact and the result that justifies it. So how do you kind of navigate that balance of like being empowered and saying, Hey, it's my time now, even though you just gave me this six months ago. Um, right. How do you balance like being a patient team player with demanding what you want and, and the raise and the title change and stuff like that? Cool. So, you know, something I've actually never been too focused on titles. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just focused on results. So I would say I also like the word deserving, like immediately makes my skin crawl. Tell me more. I don't know that anyone deserves anything. I think we earn things. Mm. Um, and so, so to me, it's about show up and put up the numbers, deliver the results. And you're never asking too much if that's in alignment. Never. Love that. There's no such thing as too soon if you're doing what you've been asked to do and meeting and exceeding expectations. There's no such thing because organizationally, just think about an organization as an organism, yeah? Yeah. Um, And it needs fuel and it needs feeding and it needs rest and it needs all these things. So if you're fueling it with what it needs, the organization wants more. So, you know, organization's primary focus at the current in the current paradigm is biggering. Um, and so if you're allowing it to get bigger, faster, stronger, better than anyone else, mm-hmm. it wants more of that. It's just pretty straightforward. Well, so then what do you, I mean, I, and I'm just playing with this because I know there's a lot of people right now on that tipping point where they are exceeding um, the bar and they've earned it, you know, for in your language. like Yeah. Um, and um, it's funny because when I think of somebody deserving something, I think it's because they earned it. Um and I, I guess when it comes to somebody speaking up, um, do you have an approach for someone? Because I think there's that fine line of somebody needing to leave an organization if they're not giving them kind right. of what they've earned. So I think a lot of that actually comes to preceding the conversation. So the common mistake I see is people take a job. There's roles and responsibilities and expectations. They, do, they meet and exceed them. Uh, but at the time that they accept, the job. They do not take the time to say, okay, so I understand that these are the roles and responsibilities. If I meet and exceed these, where do you see me next? Mm. It's a, that seems like a totally reasonable thing to me. Mm. You know, it's like the question that gals ask occasionally on dates, which is like, are you interested in getting married sometime? Yeah. Have you ever thought about having a family? And some men shrink on the first date when you ask that, right? So it's like sometimes I've found that recruiters kind of don't like feeling they go into a belief that somebody wants to be other than where they are in that job. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like Uh sometimes as a candidate, you're like, okay, so what next? They're like, well, we're hiring for this role. And they get paranoid that that person isn't even wanting to be where they're hiring for. So is there like a linguistic, uh, you know, like communication approach um, to that? Yes. I I mean, I think a lot of this, again, is just about preceding. Mm -hmm. So it's about saying something. To use a specific example, something like that, you might say, um, I recognize that today my capacity and experience squarely fits me in this job as being exactly the right place for me to learn X, Y, and Z. And I'm excited about that because I've been working in these ways to arrive at this position. But when I'm doing this position, I always want to be thinking forward the same way I did to drive myself to here. Mm-hmm. So are there things in this that you know you know you know you want to see so that when I meet and exceed those, you can see me somewhere else and what would that look like? 
Because mm-hmm. I'm always focused on delivering results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's really about like planting that like before, present, after thing mm-hmm. that makes it tangible, that put, gives a nod to where you are currently, and also lets them see that you're thinking ahead. And I think there's something to fit as well. Like some organizations want to hire you for this job and they want you to stay there because mm. they're not bringing people up from within. They're going to be looking from outside and maybe that's not a fit for you. Mm. You know, and I, the other thing I think is like, you know, hello women. I'd like to put the hand up to this, which is oftentimes we just grossly underestimate our value. And we approach job hunting like we're being picked for some sports team in grade three and we're like the second last person and we're just hoping someone's going to pick us. Yeah. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. And it's the worst feeling and it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like either if you feel that way, either you're not applying for the right jobs or you're backed yourself into a corner either by like, you know, maybe you're carrying a bit too much debt or maybe something happened in your life that you just need to switch right away. And that's all totally understandable. But but there is never a reason to feel like you're waiting on someone to pick you in desperation. Mm. And if you are, I'll bet you that you're not interviewing that well because people can see that. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I'm kind of what's still sitting with me on this note of don't wait for somebody else to tell you it's your time is, OK, I think a lot of people listening, they're probably going to use that in the future. Like, OK, next time I get a job offer. I'm going to very tactfully show appreciation for what they're offering me, let them know how much I want to be there, and ask that question that you had suggested around the trajectory based on exceeding expectations. Um, But I think a lot of women listening right now especially are probably in that awkward place where it's already signed, sealed, and delivered. They've been in the job for two years. They're exceeding expectations, and they want that promotion. And so they're kind of feeling in a corner now of like having to kind of deal with do they leave or do they give an ultimatum? Do you know what I mean? Like you don't want to corner your organization and say, promote me or else. Um, but what, what do you do when you're like, you know what? I am super exceeding. I know a couple, um, people who've come into my practice and they have, they like the company have named, you know, awards after them and they're sitting in the same role because they're waiting for some paperwork or, or you know, they can't justify giving you that raise because the budget, quote unquote. So what do, what do you do as a woman when you're in that position? Yeah, I mean, some of those things may be accurate. Maybe the budget's not there. Maybe, you know, all those kind of things. I think number one is just, like, check your facts. Number two is get a really good understanding of what you're up against. Like, what is a reasonable salary expectation? What does that role really look like? You know, because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people put arbitrary timelines in. They say, okay, well, every 18 months I should be moving or, you know, every bump should be 10K or every, you know, whatever. So I think before you go into the conversation I'm about to recommend, I think you want to do your homework. Mm-hmm. But the conversation is candid and straightforward, full of empathy and just honesty, mm. right? So you go into that conversation with whomever is the right person. Every organization is different. Some mm-hmm. people it's HR, some people it's senior management, some people, you know, yeah. you will know who you would be talking to. And you just say really honestly, not in a way that's asking, but in a way that just refers to facts. Um, so I've been in this position 18 months. 
I've met and exceeded. My career goal is this. Here's where I'd like to see myself. How do you see me getting there? Mm-hmm. I was hoping I would be there by now. Given some of the things that are happening in the organization, maybe I see that, you know, that position opening up. Is there something you need to see from me in order for me to take that on? Blah, blah, blah. Like, just frame it in a really reasonable and respectful way. But around the money, I mean, nothing works, I think, better than just being straightforward. Okay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like, hi, I've been here this amount of time. I've done this and this and this. Um, Not that I'm worth, you know, I hate phrases that put things like I deserve, I'm worth, or whatever. Uh, I would more reframe that around the value you're delivering. Mm-hmm, definitely. Right? Yep. Because it's easier for me to give you a raise when I feel like I'm getting more out of you. Yep. That's just, you know, but I think it's, you know, just stand up for yourself and put your hand up and have the meeting. Mm-hmm. And if the worst case scenario is you have to switch organizations to, to bridge that gap, to, to go to the next place or step in order to arrive at where you ultimately want to get to, then you have to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always tell people in my job offer academy course that in the salary negotiation module, I say, talk about it like you're ordering a sandwich, you know, like it's just a level of neutrality. With, you know, like, I want mustard and this and, you know, here's why. It's like your tone does not have to be emotional. People bring so much of their, you know, it's like money is so neutral. It's really just people holding it in such an emotional way. It's really great what you just said. And and kind of moving on to the second step, you said be the most interesting person in the room. I thought this was such a fun comment for you as it relates to being an empowered leader. So what does that mean for you? I mean, for me, it's it's really be the right, be the most interesting person in the right room for you. And I think that so often people focus on like you know, all these kind of jazz hands type things. Like, oh, I went and I was skydiving last weekend and I did this thing. And, you know, it's about being impressive when really, you know, what's interesting to the person that you're trying to impress. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to impress the so-and-so of so-and-so and they're really into travel, Talk about the time you went traveling someplace. Like, I think it's really just about, like, recognizing what's valuable in which specific rooms. Because there's no sense in me talking about um, my awards or my MBA or any of that kind of stuff in a room full of people who also have all those things. Nothing could be more boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what often happens is we get into these kind of career scapes where people start pounding their chest and talking about all these things that they've done, which actually has a counter effect. People become disinterested because they're like, meh, you know, I don't think about that on the weekend. Why would I bother talking to Susan Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever the case may be, or they're just egomaniacs. Um, And, and so interest is really a one-to-one thing, Mm. you know? Mm. So it's about thinking about who is it that I want to connect with genuinely and germanely, like as a human being, Um, because I think the other thing that's kind of become lost is this idea of networking is really just relationships anymore. Um, people do business and, and recommend people that they trust, which we all know, but then somehow, you know, we kind of lose track of that. So, and then the final thing is be in the right room. Like there are so many times that I think I see my friends and colleagues spending wasted time in rooms that actually add no value to them. Yes. You know? So 
just like what rooms are you putting yourself into? Are they the rooms that are serving you today or tomorrow? Yeah, it's so and, interesting. To, so sorry to interrupt you. I'm just, I'm curious, like a lot of people listening to this right now, I already know the conversation in their head is a be, is going to be around like feeling like they have an agenda for being in the right room. Do you know what I mean? Like them judging themselves. So before we even go further, how do we intercept that for the listener? Because I know right now there's so many women that are like, oh, I have to be interesting. So they already feel fake. You know, no, even no, though no. I, I no, 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 yeah, I totally and like, know. Here's the thing. Yeah. And I want to give every woman listening permission to have an agenda. That yes. is the point, my friends, is to have an agenda. If having an agenda makes you more genuine than the people who show up in line and say, I have no agenda. Mm-hmm. And the agenda agenda does not have to be about getting ahead or, or making more money or whatever. The agenda simply could be, I'm going to this conference to connect with one or two people in a really human way and see where that takes me. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really focused on making a pile of money. Okay. And you know that this certain person can get you a contract. Okay. Well, that's a different agenda, but you've got to be honest about your agenda. Don't expect to go into a room with zero agenda and walk out with a goal. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you could like stay home and watch some Netflix which is totally cool too. Hey, it's totally cool. Yeah. You know, but like just showing up and being laissez-faire will get you laissez-faire. Maybe you'll get lucky and meet an amazing person. And it just happened to me in Montreal last week. I showed up and my agenda was literally meet two amazing people in three days that I would still want to be friends with one year from now. That was my agenda. Hmm. And I accomplished it. It turns out one of the people is, you know, uh, someone who will help me greatly also in my career. Mm. But that wasn't my plan. Mm. It just so happened that that's how it turned out. So sometimes there's serendipity, but the point of the matter is like, I think we've, we've gotten into this like over and people, you know, may judge me for this, which is fine. I I think I love your, I love your energy about being judged. You're like, go ahead. (laughs) You know, judge me as you like on this. You know, I think we've got into this like, very over, um, we should never have an agenda. We should never have like, like these, like witnessing this stuff in a way that makes us, that makes being a capitalist somehow negative. Mm -hmm. Like if someone comes into a meeting with me and they have no agenda, I am pissed because they are wasting my time. Mm. So if I'm going to be at a dinner party and someone sits beside me and they're just going to take out their time, for the sake of making noise, either we're talking about something that mutually interests us, which I can jam on, and it's going to be amazing, and maybe it's about live music concerts, or we're talking about something that fundamentally advances my interest in, like, the geopolitical nature of Canada, or my interest in the cannabis space, or, right? Yep. The same applies in all the rooms, but, but somehow we only let that apply to the boardroom which is a meeting space. And all I'm saying is like, please be respectful of all the other people in every room you attend to, that you are the most interesting person to the person you're with. Be, be cognitive about what your agenda is and, and speak to it. This person's into travel. This person's into that. This person's into something else, which just demands us to be curious and present, which yes. is always awesome. Yeah, it's like reminds me of the quote to be interesting, be interested. Exactly. Yes. 100%. 
Okay. You know? You know, I think a lot of women right now, especially listening, they might feel like, I don't know if I'm interesting. And I, 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 I'm, I'm patting myself silently on the back, honestly, Kelsey, because I think you're a very sharp woman, obviously. And I'm like identifying with a lot of what you say. I think this very similarly. Um, but I guess it's like I, I've always been kind of interesting for myself. Like, I've always just created my own interesting life for me. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of women listening right now, they're, they might feel an insecurity. Like, I don't feel that interesting. Um, and I think that that's not true. I think everybody has something interesting, but they're just not aware of that. So yeah. what feedback do you have for somebody listening to get some clarity on, like, what stake they can put in the ground and identify with, realizing I am really interesting in this way? Right. So here's the, here's the thing. Um, there's a there's an exercise I do when I give my talks and um, yes. where I read the minds of all the people in the audience, which sounds crazy, but I do it to illuminate the fact that there's two parts of us. One part is the part that we most commonly identify with. That's how we introduce ourselves. I'm so and so. I'm an accountant. I'm so and so. I'm a lawyer, which is terrible to say. Not that interesting or exceptional candidly there's you know three million new mbas minted every year so my little mba although people might like it it's just an equalization measure it's like learning your abcs we were always capable of that yeah Mm -hmm. but so we think the thing that's supposed to be interesting is our work because that's how we introduce ourselves i'm blah 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 or we think what's interesting is how many humans we bred i'm a mother of three What's interesting is the town we happen to be born in, where our parents mated. That's not interesting. So why, why, so why do we lead with that? It's I just ridiculous. love your comment where our parents mated. Like, so great. Just it's, so not it's interesting. true. Yeah. Right? It's just not that interesting. So it's like, totally. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with all the things that are benign and equalizing that really I had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's not to say, like, I had nothing to do with getting an advanced degree. Of course I did. But really, again, there's a lot of us. So the thing that makes you interesting is you. But that's freaky for people, right? Mm -hmm. It's the sum of your unique experience. It's the fact that at Disneyland, when you were eight, you fell off, I don't know, the roller coaster. Or you stuck your head in the mouth of some animal. Or or you've (laughs) always wanted to write a book but you've never have because of whatever reason, um, you know, or the first date you ever had, the guy stood you up. I have no idea, but it's likely painful and extreme. Those are probably the first things you think of. So what makes you extreme or, or rather interesting is actually those extremes of who you are in your human experience. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, they may say, well, actually my experience was pretty average. That's probably not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only average because you lived it and it's very common to you. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyone who's like, man, maybe I'm just not that interesting. I'd say, I don't know, maybe challenge yourself to like, what are the top three stories someone would tell about you? Mm. If they were maybe a little bit tipsy and at your high school reunion and they were like, oh my God. This one time, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. there's a few things that you've done or or a few things you haven't done that you've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's but great. That's interesting, too. We always think it has to be something that we've done, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but probably you and I can connect over the fact that I always wanted to be the prime minister of Canada. Yeah. And 
we could have a conversation about like politics mm-hmm. or power or security or because if I I wouldn't have had any idea that was your former career because mm-hmm. you're going to introduce yourself as whatever right yeah totally it's so true and it's also kind of painful sometimes Kelsey because sometimes people like me more when I open my mouth and say oh I have these three interesting bullet points and then it feels kind of like do I have to buy into my own elevator pitch and, <laughs> and identify with this thing you know do you know what my favorite thing to do is? Tell me. Is to tell people nothing. So <laughs> totally. my business, no, I'm serious. My business card does not have any degrees on it. When I get introduced at events, like usually if I'm the keynote or I'm the main, you know, the main squeeze, I I don't go around saying that at all. Oh my gosh. I need to. Because I'd that so identifies relate. the people who I actually want to connect with. Yeah. I'm really disinterested in people who are all of a sudden really excited because I became important. Well, I, I do that in my personal life, like, um, with friends, because I actually find that anything career interest, anything too interesting in my career, sometimes it makes me feel lonely when Mm. I'm in a group of friends, which is my own mindset that I've worked for, but it's worked with, but it's also the truth. Like, you know, like I've done a lot of interesting things for myself and not everybody's interested in, in doing those sorts of things. And so sometimes I feel very separate. And so I get really quiet about myself. Um, but professionally I'm the opposite. Like if I'm a keynote, I kind of feel like I'm almost peeing on the audience, like a fire hydrant, like a dog with a fire hydrant with all of my things. And I'm like, I don't want to do this, but it feels like it works and it gets attention. And then you get people to listen. And obviously what you can say, what you say is interesting, but when people find you interesting, they listen a little more, you know, um, Absolutely. It's all the game. Oh, well, and so I know we're wrapping up and we have a few minutes left. When is your final point is understand when it's time to open your mouth. And I think this is a really mm-hmm. powerful place to end. Um, so can you share with everybody listening, like, how do you understand when it's time to share and when it's time to step back? I think, I think actually in our guts, like if we actually had the courage to listen to ourselves, most of the answers would be heard. Mm-hmm. But I think that when most of us find ourselves sitting in some boardroom waiting for, you know, having an idea and wondering, is it time for me to speak up? Or showing up to work day in, day out, wondering, is it time for me to ask for the raise? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think honestly, the time to open your mouth is when you can no longer keep it shut. Mm. I think so many people just make a lot of noise to be seen and to have their egos fed and to all these kind of things. And and everyone knows the person who's always talking and they're hardly heard. Mm-hmm. So there's it's like using curse words. The people who never curse when they use it, like when grandma says, F you, mm-hmm. everybody pays a lot of attention. Mm, pattern interrupt. You know, it's kind of a slippery slope because I think that a lot of people, you know, when you say don't talk until you can't bear it anymore, some people have a shorter threshold where, like, they just want to talk. Um, yeah, but, I, I mean, I think to that point is start paying attention to how much you're being heard. Yeah. Like, because the point of making noise is to be heard. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just, otherwise, it's just something that's, you know, serving you, mm-hmm. uh, in which case you could go home and talk to yourself all you like. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about advancing careers... You know, um, the best time to open your mouth is when you have something to say. Uh, and and I think the way to tell if it's something worth saying is when you just, you know, again, if you're so in tune with your gut that you know that that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I would say for most women, and this is a broad generalization, but for most women, the hardest thing is putting your hand up, feeling like maybe this is the wrong answer. Maybe everyone's already thought of this. Mm. Maybe this is stupid. You know, what if blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, I think we can use statistics to, to bolster our confidence and that how many times have you not put your hand up and heard someone else say the thing you were going to say and then the lead of the meeting says, that's a great idea. How many times have you walked out of a meeting and been like, shit, I should have, right? Because so-and-so did. Or, oh, I wish because, because we've all done that. Mm-hmm. And so why don't we let those moments kind of be the bolstering effect to recognize that we have something to say. Mm-hmm. And when your gut's yelling at you loud enough and you just kind of can't afford not to say it, um, go ahead and say it. Because the other thing is, what's the real injury to saying one dumb thing? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. odds are you're not going to say a lot of dumb things. So you're probably not going to have the job that you have. <laughs> you may just have one bad idea a year. Um, well, that's that, not a terrible injury. That paranoia translates and sabotages careers because if you are held hostage by the fear of saying something wrong, it's like that translates everywhere versus the freedom of saying something. And even if you say that dumb thing, usually that muscle that you're building is going to pay off long term, right? Because eventually, you know, even in at the expense of saying a couple things that aren't great, you're going to say other things that you wouldn't have otherwise shared. Um, you know, I was also thinking, Kelsey, you, you talked about, you know, not saying the wrong, wrong thing or, you know, and I think about how there's so many people at conferences and I'm sure you could relate to this. Um, and then I want to ask you where everybody can find you, but I'm sure you could relate to that weird feeling at a conference where somebody stands up and shares and they have simultaneously burned the bridge of the entire room because they're just taking up space and not adding value to the room. You know, at those conferences where it's like, oh, wow, somebody stood up to ask this keynote a question and it adds no value to really them and no value to the room, but they just want to be seen. Totally. It's the worst. I'm like, that is the fastest way to burn a bridge with everybody. It's like so quick. Well, it just comes back to that thing about like, pay attention to how much you're listened to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, And I think that'll draw a nice line in the sand to recognize like, am I adding value? Or taking it away or you know is it neutral and if it's neutral I might argue then be strategic you know is it just the time to be seen yes is this the moment where I want someone to recognize that I had the courage to ask a question that was fine and they probably won't remember but when I go and meet them up later they're gonna remember I was there you know just that's helpful But the other thing I want to say to everyone who's listening is we spent a lot of time today talking about strategies and and thinking ahead and being really mindful about all of these items. But, you know, there is a part of it which is a little bit find your people, find your allies, and just kind of go together. Like you were talking about Melissa and that she made a recommendation to you. Listen to the people that you trust. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can't listen to the people uh, that you trust, you're probably around the wrong people. But if you can't listen to yourself, you know, which is, I think, where a lot of us find ourselves in those moments of big change or big opportunity, then you have to be surrounded by the right people that you can listen to. Oh, so great. Okay, well, 
We have it all there, how to be empowered leader. Number one, don't wait for someone else to tell you it's your time. Number two, be the most interesting person in the right room. And number three, know when it's time to open your mouth. Kelsey, this has been so great. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can find me at Kelsey Ramsden on Insta, or you can just get me at KelseyRamsden.com, or you can check out the book Success Hangover. Great book. I'm so excited to dig into that. I already got my copy on its way. Whoop, whoop. Thank you for your time. This has been so insightful. I think I worked out some of my own little kinks as per usual on this podcast. I always do. It's, I joke it's Ashley's free coaching hour and it's starting to sound more and more like that. So thank you so much, Kelsey. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Take care. As we live in a society and in a world where everybody is projecting visions of what's perfect, But what I want to center you back to is the idea that everybody has their own version of perfect. And the more that you make meaning of the people who don't like you, don't resonate with you, don't want to hang out with you, the more you make it mean that there's something up with you, you're missing the mark. Because the truth of the matter is if someone else is in reaction to you, you've triggered something inside of them that's their own business. It's not your business. So I want to remind you now that there's three types of business. There's your business, there's their business, whoever you're working with, dealing with, and there's God's business. Or if you don't believe in God, you know, whatever nature, science, science's business, like whatever you want to call it. And far too often we get in other people's business when it comes to thinking about how we relate to ourselves or what we think about ourselves. For example, let's say that I went out with somebody on a date and I don't hear from the person for days. It's very easy for me to get into their business and to be thinking, what did I do wrong? Did they think this? Did they think that? Maybe I did this wrong and triggered that. But whenever I'm in pain about something like that, I always see an inner alarm go off inside of myself within minutes of it, reminding me, oh, it's time to get back into my business. It's not my business what other people think of me. If they want to talk to me, I can talk to them. But if they just, if I trigger something inside of somebody else, I just have to constantly stay in my business. I have to evaluate situations in my life. You have to evaluate situations in your own life. And you have to look at the situation and say, do I feel like I could have been better Do I feel like I could have been better in a certain area, not because of what the other person thinks, but because of me? Do I look back and does my soul feel like it could have done better? So you first look at it that way. And then the second thing to do after you look at how you did and kind of assess where you could have improved for yourself, not for somebody else, not because of somebody else, the next step is to forgive yourself for all of the beliefs you're having because you're in somebody else's business. So for example, if I go on a date and I don't hear from the person, it's easy for me to think, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have said this. I should have said that. Maybe I was a little too much right there. Maybe I was not enough for them right there. And instead I get really silent. I go to a meditation class, but you could do whatever you want for this. You can get really silent and tap into your awareness. What are the judgments you hold on yourself? What are the thoughts that you're believing about yourself because of that interaction or person or because of some situation and move straight into forgiving yourself for believing you're not enough, for believing you're too much and just center yourself back on the understanding that you are not everybody's fix. You are not the lock to everybody's key. And the sooner you accept that, because that is so true, that is so real, the more you can free yourself up to be the lock that you are meant to be and to be available for that key that matches. Um, Whether that's in your friendships, in your business opportunities, in your love life, 
You're not going to fit everybody. That's something to be deeply proud of always. Um, and, you know, just listening to my friend, you know, after a date she had or, you know, dates seem to be very present with all my friends just in my early 30s. A lot of them are looking for love. And, you know, it was just so interesting listening to her talk about, was I not enough? Do you think that's why I didn't, you know, hear from him? And it's just, it's so true. It's like, you might be, you know, think about what is your best quality, you know, and that quality is what draws people to you like a moth to a flame. Like that is what lights people up about you, but that might not be the lock to somebody else's key. And when my friend was talking about how somebody would come to me because they want to feel who they are, they want to feel their spirit, they want to feel their soul, they want to feel alive, they want to feel connected. I remember thinking like, first I was so moved, like I got tears in my eyes. But the second thing I thought was, God, I don't want to be anybody else. This is who I want to be. I am who I want to be. And I'm going to stay in my business. I'm going to stay in forgiving myself when I have limiting beliefs that disturb my peace, believing that I'm this or I'm too that or I'm not enough this. I'm going to forgive myself for those because the truth of the matter is I'm perfect just as I am and so are you. And the sooner you can accept that, the sooner you can start evaluating yourself in situations just on your own standards for yourself. It doesn't mean you can't listen to feedback. If somebody gives you feedback and it resonates and it feels true for you, great. Collect the feedback and implement it to your own self-improvement. Uh, this is what has just really inspired my podcast, the U-Turn podcast, Y-O-U, like U-Turn, like you making a turn. Okay, obviously you get it by now. <laughs> but anyway, the reason that I started doing this was because I think there's so many moments where we just go off path and we start believing what other people think about us and we forget what we think about us. And our, our it's almost like we're driving and our windshield is dirty. So um, get silent, get into your awareness, look at what thoughts are coming through, forgive yourself for the judgments because they're just as true as the positive stories. Like that, you, you make up your beliefs, so you might as well buy into things that are kind to yourself. There's no point. You are a soul here having a human experience. You're a beautiful being just as you are. There are certain people in this universe that are going to be drawn to you just because by you being you, you give them more permission to be them and they feel so connected to you. So own who you are today. And I want to leave this audio with you just asking yourself, what is one judgment about yourself that you, you would like to drop right now? What is one judgment you're holding on to? It's time to let go of. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself and celebrate the key that you are to the right lock. You are just such a beautiful being. Anyway, it's Ashley Stahl signing off, going to head off to help a private coaching client figure out what she wants to do with her career. And um, yeah, I'm just so honored to do this audio with you. Take care. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.